0: Hello, I'm Elizabeth Dore, and this is Cramming for the Apocalypse, a podcast about dealing with climate griefs and climate anxieties through the lens of disaster preparedness. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this month's episode of Cramming for the Apocalypse. I am really excited about our guest this week, Marina Rivera-Dominguez, who I met because she taught a fire workshop for an outdoor women's retreat. And I loved that session so much. I even wrote a story about it because it was something that really stuck with me and and part of it was Marina's vibe and everything that you brought to it. And so I'm really excited for listeners to meet Marina because she really has this great presence and also passion for fire that I didn't even know. I don't know, it introduced a whole different realm for me. So Thank you so much for being here, Marina. And let's just start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your journey has been and how you came to become an expert in fire making. Well,
1: thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Let's see. I, well, my first experience making fire, I would say, was around the time that I got introduced to the whole wilderness world. I was 13 and I went to a wilderness therapy program for you know, like for wayward children. And and that's where I learned to make basic fire, nothing primitive, uh, but it was definitely something that we needed because we were in Maine and it was the only way to stay warm. And when I was, there was like a little bit of lapse of time. I left wilderness therapy. And when I was 16, a, a Choctaw man took me in and his brother lived about an hour away who was a Lakota man, they would sort of trade me back and forth and, and teach me stuff from their culture. And that's when I got an intro to Boldrill And But it's also when I got an intro to the, I would say, the more maybe spiritual realm of nature connection. Wilderness therapy was super transformative for me in a lot of ways, but I think allowed me to have a broader perspective of what was possible uh, when I went to live with my Choctaw teacher. I honestly didn't get too much into Beaudrill at the time because I was I was a teenager and I thought that everything was stupid and below me. (laughs) But but then, you know, I kept sort of going in that direction. I think what I really loved in particular was that in my culture, I grew up in a really conservative town in Mexico. In my culture, at least in the circles that I was in, it was really expected for women to be sort of small and quiet and And, you know, I internalized a lot of those messages, too. I wasn't used to using my body. I wasn't used to feeling powerful and and capable. And after these experiences, that feeling started getting nourished in me. And I needed it, you know, to survive. And so I kept looking for an environment that would provide that. I think an environment that would provide a a sort of enough of a challenge for me to feel like I had something to, to learn. And when I was around, I think... When I was, like, around 21, I went to tracker school. I don't know if you've heard of it. A pretty well-recognized survival school. Tracker school, I think, is based out of New Jersey and the Pine Barrens, but they sometimes have different classes. I took my standard class, which is the first class in, in Arizona, and it was pretty amazing, actually, to take it there. And then I took a few other ones in the Pine Barrens, so I got a, a little bit of different environments, and that was really nice. I went there, and that's really—I already knew how to do bow drill, but I wasn't, like—
0: you know it wasn't my passion, sort of, and um, actually, can you describe what bow drill is because sure. I don't know that I mean my first my <laughs> first introduction to bow drill was seeing you do bow drill. The physical aspect of bow drill is
1: basically rubbing two sticks together, right? There's a fireboard on the bottom and a drill at the top, and you move them with a bow. you move the 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 drill with a bow. And that causes enough friction at the bottom, the fireboard, to loosen pieces, small enough pieces of wood to form a sort of powder that all condenses in one spot. And with the friction, also create heat to dehydrate that powder for it to become coal and then eventually to become hot enough to become an actual ember. And then you take that ember and you put it in a tinder bundle and that's, Looks a little bit like a bird's nest, you know, just really really thin debris, and with a lot of care and gentleness, you put the the ember into the the bird's nest, the tinder bundle, and you blow it into flames,
0: yeah, for listeners, like a bow it looks like a bow, like a bow and arrow bow, and then the drill is like a like a stake, like a piece of wood that you you kind of move back and forth to create that friction. So kind of going back to track your trackers experience, that was when you started to get into Beaudrill more deeply? Yes, that
1: is when I started to get into Beaudrill more deeply. But my, you know, there were a lot of instructors there, but I sort of got under the wing of this big burly man and I just liked him. You know, I like kind of people that are a little rude. And he started to coach me and mentor me on Beaudrill and all the other stuff that was going on. but. The thing that wasn't matching up for me is that, you know, this man was huge. He was 6'4", and he's just a bear of a man, right? And his bow drill was the length of my, you know, my calf. This man had his spindle was, like, proportional to his body, so much larger than anything that I would need. But I didn't understand that I needed to mold my bow drill to my own body. So I was just basically following his example of what he does, and something that works for him, and it worked for me also up until one point. you know I had a a bigger spindle than I needed, I had a bigger fireboard than I needed i had a I had a really wonky handhold, which is what you use to protect your hand and hold the spindle in place as you're drilling and I was getting coals and it was becoming easier and easier for me but I was still stuck in the framework that we were given which was a very sort of step-by-step this is the physical aspect of Baudrill that you need to understand but there was no softness to it. The words that come to mind honestly is that the way that Baudrill was taught to me at tracker school was a very very functional very accurate but very masculine way and there was a whole sort of realm that was missing for me that I ended up tapping into just when I would play around with Beaudrill by myself. And I also went to a a different school called Earthwalk Northwest, ran by Frank and Karen Moore. Just so knowledgeable, truly, truly just incredible teachers, hilarious people, so, so welcoming, warm in their heart. And i We were doing a little bit of work trade, I was chopping wood for them, and I really wanted to get my hands on a piece of osage and Frank came out one day when I was working out there and he handed me this piece of osage osage orange it's a, it's a type of wood, and he said he cut it down the year his daughter was born, which is she was the same age as me, so I felt like I was holding on to this relic, and I felt so honored that he decided to give it give it, give it to me <laughs> even though now. <laughs> now i have so many sticks of my own in my in my garage that i just give away you know so she was probably doing that but to me i was so honored and then i turned it into my bow and i sort of started refining the art of fire making i you know got my my piece of osage for my bow i i made a flex bow i started to get into the the s- softer feel of bow drill i assembled all of these really artful pieces to my bow drill kit. And then I started really dialing what to me feels like the listening part of fire making, which eventually that's what it all felt like to me. You know, I think for a while I always felt like I was making a fire, you know, like I was this godly being who could just make magic out of her own hands and be like, ta-da, right? I, I made this. And at some point that shifted for me and I felt more like I was... It's kind of sounds kind of silly, but I it felt to me more like I was just a bit of a the shepherd, you know, of fire. I was I was offering pieces gently and with a lot of awareness and letting them come together in just the right way for it to do its own thing and for fire to be born by itself. You know,
0: that doesn't sound silly at all. And I actually think that's something that really struck me about uh, the session that you did was that you you didn't even use the term fire getting as in like, you know, it's more receiving it versus making it. And I I think that it's really there's something really beautiful. I mean, I'm a writer. And so I think that like when I'm thinking about the intentionality of the language we use, that really struck me. And I I remember writing it down kind of furiously in my notes (laughs) because it really impacted me. Yeah. And I was already, you know, taken in because I just, I think that there's a real beauty and grace about that process. And you opened the the entire experience by, you know, by making fire or getting fire with your bow drill. And I had never and- seen that done before. And so to me, Alco was once a dancer. I felt like it was like this dance and this ritual and and i went into my whole journey of trying to learn all these skills but and and i was focusing on kind of what you were saying with what you saw at trackers that hard skill i need to make fire so that i can survive the apocalypse or whatever (laughs) but it expresses kind of this i am separate from nature uh, mentality and i really appreciated that kind of softness that you brought to it and so I don't know. I really appreciate that kind of spiritual, soft approach that you have um, about it.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. And, you know, I it's not it's not just for sentimental reasons that I say that it's not just like gratifying internally. It's also functionally, at least for me, it makes a lot more sense because I end up investing a lot less energy in the actual process of making a fire because I'm I'm calm, I'm attuned, I'm silent. I'm I'm just I feel like it's just me listening to the fire and what it needs from me and all of those skills. It feels like it's it's sort of something that's passing through me more than it's something that I'm doing, you know. I I don't know if that makes sense to you Elizabeth. Yeah. I don't know if you
0: ever experienced that. Oh yeah. I mean, I I think it I think it applies to so many different things too because like I mean just any kind of work like writing. I when I my head is all over the place, it's like I can't form sentences on paper. On like I need to kind of get into this meditative space. I've never been great at meditation. My mind just wanders too much, but I've been trying to pick up things that at least calm my nervous system. And then once that happens, it is like the words flow through me. And I think it's really similar with what you're yeah. saying with fire.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I've experienced musicians talking about it like that too. You know, it's just the music; it's passing through them instead of them making it. Right?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I love that. And also, um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote on that in her uh, book *Big Magic* uh, about writing and so and how kind of these we were, we're just you know, we're just maybe the conduit to certain ideas. And she described specifically how she had this idea for a novel for years and just wasn't able to, for many reasons, able to do it. But then I think it was Anne Passion, she had turned out that she ended up writing a very similar novel, not the same thing. They're different people. And 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 she's like, it's almost like I passed the idea through of her. And so I don't know. I agree with you in that. I think that that's that's like, we are like the the keepers of these skills or ideas and, you know, we can do what we can with them. So one of the things I kind of want to go back even to the basics a little bit, we talked about what bow drill is and what it looks like, but, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't think I even really had a sense of what primitive fire making was or, or could be until that retreat. And I... You know, I was talking to a friend, a friend who worked at Knowles and had, you know, and they they have all these backcountry skills. But he's like, I've never learned the primitive skills. Like, that's not a part of what we learn as far as the you know, the Knolls philosophy. It's not. I mean, it's a na- nature appreciation, but I think it's that's what I think what makes a difference between being out in nature and and having these these uh, this appreciation, their survival skills, but also. Looking around you and seeing what the resources are that one are, you know, are part of our health and safety, but also about, you know, that connection and nature connection. And so I don't know if you can maybe describe what primitive fire making is and what is involved in it. Sure. Yeah, I
1: I've gotten into a few debates about this. I think I'm gonna disagree with my own self even as I start to talk, but
0: <laughs> Well, I guess then we can put a disclaimer that this is a this is a working definition. Yes. <laughs> so
1: primitive skills merges pretty nicely into Bushcraft. I would say they're they go along with each other. They hold hands for sure. And I would define it as Different to survival skills. Just to clear up the difference, I would say that survival skills are the immediate or meeting immediate needs for immediate future, right? It's not thinking long term and it's not thinking long term necessarily for yourself and it's not thinking long term necessarily for the environment either, right? It's if you're out in the woods, you might need to cut down a few trees and it might not be ideal and it might not be considerate for the environment, but you got to do it to survive survival skills, right? Same with fire making. It's sort of like a fast paced approach to fire making. And I would consider primitive skills still in the realm of we're using all the materials that we acquired from nature, but maybe it took a a longer time to acquire them and it took more sort of threads of connection to our community to acquire them, right? Like my bow drill. I got my bow from my teacher and I got my stone from my other teacher and Those are things that I didn't myself go and harvest, but they harvested. And primitive skills for me has a sort of sense of uh, community attached to it, just because there's more longevity in primitive skills, I would say. It's not just putting on a piece of loincloth and walking around. It's making a beautiful garment at a bug scanner. For specifically fire making, I would say it's having your refined fire making kit that comes directly from nature, right? Whether it be just a hand hand drill, which I'm I'm not so good at, to be honest, or having your bow drill that has natural cordage instead of paracord, right? I would call the bow drills with paracord survival (laughs) kits, and I would call (laughs) the bow drills with cordage with plant cordage or animal cordage primitive bow (laughs) drills. That would be my distinction. And you know, some people put flint and steel in primitive skills, which feels fair. fine to me, but they wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that fair cerium rods are in primitive skills and they're more like modern survival, right?
0: I think yeah. distinction is helpful too because that, I mean, that's something that I've been kind of pondering in this whole journey of like, you know, my journey is really building skills to you know, initially it was like survival, but really what I want is the, our Earth to survive and us on it. And so thinking more in the long term, like, what is that? What does that look like? And I, you know, I, I don't have any. I guess, illusion that I'm going to become a master of fire making. <laughs> But that it is a journey to kind of get have a better sense of these resources around us. What is a good material to use to make fire and how, you know, how to do that, but also like having a strong understanding of the nature elements that are around you because it's gonna be different based on where you are geographically imagine. And so yeah, I I think that really resonates with me, that distinction. I know you
1: didn't bring me here to like challenge you on things Elizabeth but I just you know I just I have this quote that runs in my head all the time and it's those who say they can and those who say they can't are both right. usually. Oh. and I say to myself all the time <laughs> you know and I just I hear that and it just sounds like you sort of holding yourself back you know instead of an accurate inaccurate truth like you don't yeah. you don't know what the future holds for you and and I think to some some degree, being being a master is a matter of perspective and willingness too. So, yeah, and I and I honestly don't consider myself a master either. I you use that word at the beginning of the podcast, and I I kind of had a little eye roll moment. The expert, I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I, yeah, I know, crazy, you know, like yeah. I you know, fire,
0: and I feel so humbled by it. I'm just like, I don't know, please teach me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's a really important point, too, because I think that that's something that I've had to get over through this is that we tell ourselves these stories that we can't do certain things. I mean, I even just had this realization with drawing, for example, I was like, oh, I always wish that I like I was good at drawing. And then I decided to do this 30 day drawing challenge. And I'm not bad. And I was like, and I really love it. And it's something we do as women, too, that we kind of tell ourselves this story that we can't do a certain thing. And I think this is something I've, you know, and I appreciate you saying that because and reminding me that because I think that that's that's the real challenge with this with this project um, from the very beginning. I I did it because I was like, I can't do any of this stuff, so I'm gonna. I need some kind of accountability to learn how to do it, and like saying that I'm not gonna be a master. Also, it's, it's going it's it's like an assumption that there's an endpoint to the learning, and that is also <laughs> totally. I really like <laughs> well, that. I appreciate you know. that pushback. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's also like having these kind of conversations is where I need to have that reminder in my head. But yeah, I but but that being said, I do think that what you're saying about the survival skills are important. But I think I've always you know, when we think of preppers and people who are preparing for, quote, the end of the world, it it has this kind of individualistic connotation and and, in a survival. And and it's like I am doing this so that I can survive, that my family can survive, whereas I want to explore what preparedness looks like as a community, as a society and and not just the society as we know it, but like as a better, more humane, more just um, and cleaner and healthier society. And so I think that the way you're framing, you know, the kind of modern ideas around it, I think that they're kind of metaphors for one another in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and something that I that sort of that I personally really like about survival skills about primitive skills, you
0: know, <laughs> working yeah. definition, working yeah definition. yeah totally
1: <laughs> is that I feel so calm you know I I feel I obviously don't want to get lost in the woods I'm a pretty good wayfinder when I'm out by myself when I'm out with like my students especially with the kids you know I tend to be a lot more cautious about where I'm going but when I'm out with my by myself and my dogs it's just me just sort of barreling through the woods and I feel so safe I'm I I think about it I'm like oh I might be lost and it's like but I am fine though I can make a fire I don't have anything with me I just have my knife my trusty old good old knife and you know my dogs are here they're gonna keep all the critters away and I'm gonna make a, a fire a signal fire if I have to or I'm gonna find a nice little shelter and I don't have to carry a backpacks with a tarp and a pot and all these things even though I love modern amenities obviously they're great but it's also nice to just feel sort of powerful just in my own body
0: mm-hmm. I love Enough
1: that I carry in my own body yeah
0: yeah and that that to me, that feeling of security in kind of these what we think of as wild spaces, that is a really great thing to strive for, too. I think maybe that's the maybe the ultimate goal for me in that sense, because I, I get when I get to a point even when I'm on like a trail, you know, and I get any sense of being lost. I start to pick up. I get that like feeling in my stomach. Yeah, that's really cool this kind of goes to what you're saying about being comfortable in your body and feeling safe is that I really <laughs> loved I felt like such a badass during that session like because so for listeners how it so it is about the fire making part but what we also did was learned about making kindling and chopping and the correct way to chop wood and also to I mean you can you I can't even remember the terminology from a lot of the stuff that we did and then we also made a tinder bundle with cedar and 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 then we use the ferro rod to we've used the ferro rod to lay the charcoal and so it's kind of the beginning to the end journey minus a few things i guess <laughs> that would be involved but there was the softness with it but i just felt like a badass it felt so good to just chop that wood <laughs> totally totally <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so you know, and and there is that t- that hard skill related to, but you we already talked about this a little bit, and I think maybe this kind of could go to my question about your philosophy about it. But like, um, you know, there was there was so much about the softer skills. Like, yes, you want to have a good technique so you're not going to slice your leg, or that you're also being careful with the materials, and so like you know being mindful that we're not going to start, you know, as you know, especially white ladies, you know, who have don't have bushcraft skills going off and stripping cedar off of you know, trees that we see cuz that's not healthy or respectful. <laughs> and so, you know, these kind of things, but also the emotional part of it. And I I think there was a real power that we were all women in that space or, you know, or those who didn't identify as strictly you know, or as male. And so I think that that's was really powerful in that. And so, I guess, I don't know, maybe speaking more about the softer side of the fire making skills, like how does that play out into kind of your philosophy and how would you describe it? Well, I, you know, I
1: don't feel like I can strictly say that I know what masculinity is about and how to act it in the world in a powerful way. But the way that it felt to me, it was oh, that it was that that masculine way that i was taught it was it was done by force right it was a very sort of direct and forceful way of achieving what you wanted which is just fine i think i i it works great for a lot of people and i do consider myself a really strong lady but i also just simply don't have the same amount of body strength or at least upper body strength as say, the average or above average guy, right? I think also my, my own ideology, I think we we women have maybe a more intuitive understanding, a softer understanding. The way that it feels like to me is that I feel like we can maybe pick up on on the finer threads of a, an entire quilt, you know? <laughs> and, and that's what it feels like to me when I am making fire in this sort of feminine way. It feels like I am touching a fiber that is sort of hidden a little bit deeper into the entire art that is fire making and to me it has a lot to do with with breath and presence I imagine it would feel a lot like like what I want to be as a mother you know I I truly I think about this all the time there's this sort of slowness and and presence that I have to have and a lack of a, a of a goal right I I don't feel like I can As a mother, if I have a two-year-old, it would be so hard for me psychologically if I was just trying to get them in the car, you know? (laughs) But if, you know. I know. Right. (laughs) And this obviously implies living in a world of certain privileges, right? Where maybe I don't have a job or something like that. But if I can just live in the moment with my toddler, I might be able to with a lot more ease and actually efficiency get him in the car if I'm not putting that goal onto the child. Right. In the same way that I'm not putting the goal of making a fire onto these pieces of wood, I'm just present and allowing it to get there by itself. It it feels like the word flow comes to mind.
0: You're also speaking to something that I've been thinking about a lot in this whole journey, too, because I do. I have a an almost seven year old and you know, I, watching him sometimes, I, I really am kind of jealous that he can just, you know, go into these like imaginary spaces <laughs> so easily. And for and his sense of time is different than my sense of time. <laughs> so I, it's frustrating sometimes when we have to get somewhere, but I also envy it because it is really, you're going with the flow. You're living in the moment. And I really want to, and the part of this journey has been also to really go with his pace occasionally and that's <laughs> yeah, not so. really great at that but it is part of it and I think that that's really kind of cool that it connects with all these other aspects that you know those kind of things and you know when you have a kid that's melting down like forcing them into the car is impossible and so you do just have to stop and pause in the same way that you <laughs> I think I remember <laughs> you saying that they're You were, it was like raining and you had to go make a fire and it was all really stressful. And you were like, and the fire was not coming. But then once you take the moment to be, okay, breathe, you know, let's center ourselves. And it's the same. I think that totally relates to having a child and just living in the moment. What are the recommendations for people wishing to learn about fire in this way? Where should they start and what can they do?
1: Well, let's see. They can reach out to me. And I can give them a fire making class if they like. the The Wilderness Awareness School obviously has some really good fire teachers. Tracker School has should have some pretty good teachers. Frank and Karen for sure. Um, and where where are Frank and Karen? Live? They're based at they're in Issaquah, okay. uh, Issaquah in, in Washington. And you know, there's also a whole lot of country people in the world that are happy to teach. <laughs> Other people had make fire, right? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, like, I got in contact with these Native guys who obviously knew all these skills from generations ago. And I think it would be cool to support people who are sort of the holders of this heritage. But I, I don't know any, any programs directly from them, but I, I know they're out there. Oh, there's a really cool school named Hidden Bear in Idaho who, that is ran by this, like, group of elders and one of them. His name is Grey Wolf and he's an indigenous man. I don't know what tribe he's from, but he knows all of these skills. And so he's also totally available to teach this stuff. I would recommend him a lot. I didn't get to learn from him personally, but I admire him and I would love to be his mentee. So (laughs) that
0: is cool. How do people find you then?
1: Well... I have an Instagram. It's my handle is a joke. It started, it's it was an ironic joke, but it's what it is now. And I love it. I love it now. I've embraced it. <laughs> it's uh it's Apocalypse Flower. In my pursuit of like I think I was with my friend and we were making fun of people that have like really spiritual names for themselves, you know? And he asked me, he was like, Well, yours be and I I think I I think that's where it came out. I was like, I would be apocalypse flower because I, you know, I'm into this whole feminine form of survival and so that and i just kind of it just stuck in my head when i made an instagram i i named myself that but
0: that's that That could be your business (laughs) i
1: know know. that's that's not a bad idea you know i've also i'm also gonna probably start planting flowers and selling them so
0: oh my gosh oh my
1: gosh i know i hadn't even thought of it so thank you i'll give you you a percent of my
0: profits for that (laughs) no this is for free (laughs) well at apocalypse flower on instagram marina it has been a pleasure talking to you this is really fun i really and was also just a cool reflection for me on that experience because it really was super powerful and and i think that what you bring to it really was a part of that was was why it felt so meaningful and i kind of got emotional when you were doing the opening fire ritual and it was just it was beautiful so thank you so much for for joining me
1: Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I, I feel really honored and and grateful that you th- you think of me. And thank you for your attention. And I truly just,
0: it's a huge honor. Thank you so much for listening to Cramming for the Apocalypse. You can support us by following and reviewing us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help people find us. Please also subscribe to our newsletter at crammingfortheapocalypse.substack.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to the paid option. Not only does that help the show, this is a one woman production right now, but you will also be a part of a community of people working for climate action and community preparedness where you will receive tools, resources, and of course, a sense of community around climate action and preparedness. Thanks so much for listening to the show and happy prepping. They mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.